I immediately realized that Netflix has made a big strategic mistake with the way that they release this show. This mystery box format works best when it is a week-to-week thing. And I know, I know people love being able to uh, binge. I get it. I also like binging. But this show needed to be an eight-week phenomenon that grew in popularity on the internet as everybody started talking about and theorizing about what is going on. And instead, I can't I can't tweet about the specifics of the mystery. I, you know, I can't talk to people about the specifics of the mystery because I don't know what episode they're on. And they know stuff that I don't know. So what ends up happening is you are actually shutting down conversation as people don't want to spoil it for their friends. to episode 223 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we usually read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And this week we discuss the first half of the first season of both the podcast and TV series Archive 81. So we're doing something a little different. We're covering a podcast adaptation, which is a first time for us. I don't know how many of these have actually been done. I know this isn't the first, but it's a pretty rare kind of adaptation, but I'm hoping one that we're going to see more of going forward, um, especially if it can be as uh, well made as this one seems to be, at least in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm waiting for the ink to film adaptation request so that somebody can. <laughs> I don't even know what that would look like. <laughs> Probably more of like an after show or something. It is a written material. So I think it's, you know, it was the, clearly there were scripts written for this podcast. So it still feels within the realm of, of things that we cover. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's someone wrote it. Um, it's just being performed in a way, um, you know, that is that is different than what we're used to. But seems within the umbrella and we're podcasters. So we know a lot about this medium. Maybe we don't do narrative, um, but I'm it's something I'm curious in learning more about. And it was it's definitely cool to listen to something like this. I, I've listened to some stuff that, that I would say is in the same genre as this that sort of narrative uh, audio drama style. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one has a pretty unique feel to it. Um, we're going to focus, I think, early on in the episode on the podcast podcast itself. We've only listened to episodes one through five of season one. They're short, 15 minutes a piece. Um, so you can get through them pretty fast. I'll link the podcast in the show notes in case you want to find it. If you're a fan of the show, I think it's kind of interesting to go back and listen to it, check it out. Or even if you haven't seen the show yet, it can give you a little taster for what you might be in store. I, I think let's let's focus on that first if you're down and then we can get to the show, which I am like bursting with thoughts about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I don't want the show to completely overshadow the podcast because I think it is important to start there. That's where it all began. Yeah. So uh, I want to shout out our Patreon because in our discord, we recently had I was having a conversation with some of our listeners about graphic audio, which is like a certain type of audiobook where it incorporates like sound effects and score and some of that stuff. And it is cool because it is like there is like radio plays from from long ago. And, and like this has always been a medium that I feel like it was probably very popular when radio was all the rage. 
and uh, it's kind of dwindled, but I think that there's an audience for it. It's yeah. really fun. It's really engaging in that Discord. I mentioned that like it feels like the kind of thing that you like sit down, shut your eyes, and like let yourself go on a journey with. Whereas I think audiobooks even are the the description is given in terms of like what the scene is like, what the tone is like, how things are supposed to feel right now. Um, and, and in that way, I feel like I can do something at the same time, whereas this takes more of my concentration. Yeah. It feels almost like watching a movie with your eyes shut or something. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I was listening to the first uh, couple episodes while I was walking the dogs, and I started to realize that I wasn't getting the full experience because I only had one ear, you know, one ear pod in. And then there was, there was a particular part where I think music, the music was being played from the composer. And I was like, oh, I really need to have both in for this because it's like I could tell that it was dynamic um, and really, you know, quote unquote music, <laughs> the opera. And the appreciation is there for like audio. I think being a podcaster has turned me into like an audio nerd. Like I yeah. like how uh, analog it can be at times. I like the ways that you can manipulate things and, and just the way that you can you can. And, and similar to film with like cinematography telling someone how to feel you can you can give someone that same kind of thing with an audio experience and so like getting to sit down and listen to an audio experience like this i was appreciative of like oh that would be difficult oh wow this is really impressive like yeah. uh some of the some of the w- places that the podcast went to i was like it was one very conceptually cool like the idea of this story and then it would take you down these tangents that feel almost like a Charlie Kaufman story where it's like, we're going to get into like theoretical, like operatic music and stuff like that. You can see that the people who made this uh, were audio nerds and they're talking about different kinds of music, experimental music, uh, just all kinds of stuff like that. Oh, totally, man. There's this album called Everywhere at the End of Time, stages one to six complete by The Caretaker. And it is on YouTube. You can listen to it for free. Um and what the show the show made me think of it both the actual TV show and the audio from the um, the podcast itself because it's this incredibly experimental noise album. It's six and a half hours long, and it is broken up into all these chapters. And um, I watched a like video breaking down what it was about conceptually, but it's super avant garde, surreal. It's kind of noise, kind of music. And it's supposed to be about someone, I and, and you know this is a very watered down version of what it's about. But it's like a mind getting dementia, and then the way memory starts to fade, and um, the the way it like your brain deteriorates over time. And so the six and a half hour long <laughs> album is about that, um, and it's super weird. And uh, when I started hearing her, the, this this composer, talk about her like process and her art, it was making me think of that. So it's like there are real people who do stuff like this. Like, yeah, you'll never hear this on a, you know, on a radio or something, but it does exist. And, you know, the, I think it has like 800,000 something, I don't know, views on, on YouTube. So it's like people have, no, I'm sorry, 22 million views uh, on YouTube. So people have checked it out, even though it is like... So not something you would think people would be super into, but it has an audience. I mean, this sort of experimentation and like searching for the far reaches of like human experience and everything yeah. beyond, like just trying to explore the world, I think is so cool. And like experimental artists, experimental filmmakers, um, I love digging into that stuff, but it's also a world that I feel like I've just dipped my toe into. And I would love to be this kind of person who is like so 
uh, able to like process and, and consume that kind of stuff. But it's like, and I like a good film that's like a work, but that feels like even more work. Like I'll, any film that you've ever heard of, I would sit down and watch and I'm sure I'd get a lot out of it. And I've seen a ton of movies, but like when it gets to like super avant-garde, like um, experimental, it, it becomes like you have to be in a very specific mind space to be able to yeah. to go through that but there are people who they're like that's my favorite kind of thing is like i just go seek that kind of stuff out. i mean it's cool like uh, so so admittedly i did not listen to the entire album i did I, I skipped around um because i watched a video breaking down someone who did actually listen to the entire thing and was like talking about what it meant to them and like what they got out of it and so i i did hop around to like different areas to hear what they were talking about and see what it was and it was cool it is six and a half hours long so i was like i'm not ready to devote that much time to it it's literally almost like a drug trip or something. Yeah. You have to like have someone ready to pull you out if something bad yeah. happens. Like somebody. I think, this, I think this caretaker has even like performed it live and stuff. But I wanted to um I wanted to to, to break take it back to the podcast and say that I love the idea of like that's a very popular version of this. Anytime you see a very very popular version of something this avant garde and strange, there's so many other people doing that thing at a level where it's not popular because it's too weird or too avant-garde, or, or, or difficult to grasp, or upsetting, or who knows, right? So there's... Well, and there's a difference between, like, avant-garde and bad, right? Yeah, like, so oh, it's for like, sure. I'm sure there are people who, who want to create this kind of thing. They try to create it, and then people who love avant-garde things sit down to listen to it, and they're like, this is garbage. I can't... Yeah. This is not even close. There's, I mean, it's an entire spectrum, right, of artistic expression. But what I like about that is, like, you know that there is stuff that's so much less palatable than even the version that you've encountered, because you will never know about it unless you are, like, deeply in these circles, Right. And I, that's kind of what it's dealing with and how like if that can start to spill over into the supernatural and to to like cosmic horror, it can get really cool. And that's kind of the vibe I was getting from the podcast. And in general, like this podcast is a found it's like a found footage, but it's it's not footage in the in the podcast. It's, it is in the show, but it's like found audio. Right. Like that's the idea behind it. Almost like, you know, when you watch like the Blair Witch Project and it's like this is a real you know movie we found. This is like, I love the whole framing of this podcast because the, the host comes on at the end of the episode and he's like, this is the audio from my friend Dan. He sent it to me when he was doing this weird project and he's missing now. And I want, I just, I just need your help. Like, yeah, if you, if you can get, share the podcast, spread it around, yeah, get the word out, rate us on iTunes, you know, connect with us on Twitter. That'll help us get the word out. You know, I'll release more of these tapes next week, you know, and like he, he, he was doling it out like a story. And I'm sure it was super fun to like buy into the fiction of it. Um, and, and, you know, is it or isn't it real audio? And um, some of the sounds and stuff they're able to pull off super creepy. Um, we're going to do an actual sort of plot breakdown for the first four episodes of the show. But for the for the podcast, we're being a little more freeform. Um, but I loved how creepy it was right when like all of a sudden. Um, their recording would start to kind of like break down because it's supposed to be actual tapes, like cassette tapes. And it would start to distort and slow down and get weird. And how you could play with that because the way voices sound can sound monstrous or otherworldly. And you can lean into all that like natural distortion, but manipulate it on purpose to make it sound a certain way. And I was eating that stuff up, you know, like that. that's that's so cool to me. And so, so creative. Right. And you, I mean, you mentioned Cosmic Horror, so we have to mention like this sort of like, especially with the show too, started to feel a lot of like the Lovecraftian nature of the story, right? Like it's like 
elder god type shit going on that you can't maybe. really <laughs> maybe, yeah, unclear, maybe unclear unclear yeah but one thing that really sent me there there was this this archivist like sort of museum curator yeah in one episode and he's talking about all these different artifacts and and then he gets to one and i love when a story will send you down a path that you never really were interested in like he he talks at one point about this non-euclidean object <laughs> and i was yeah. like i i don't and i'm admitting that i didn't know what that was in the moment so i looked it up and I started going into a subject that I really r- didn't care for in school, geometry. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's specifically about Euclidean geometry seeks to understand the geometry of flat two-dimensional spaces. Non-Euclidean geometry studies curved rather than flat surfaces. And so basically this curator is saying like, there's this object, it's hard to look at and even more even more difficult to describe. And he's like, the best thing I can say is it's like a, some sort of non-Euclidean object or something yeah. like that. And I was just like, what a fucking crazy rabbit hole that this this sent me down and, and like how well, like, you know, some of these things that I never would be interested in in a story like this will, will pull you down those rabbit holes. Yeah, and it's so approachable because it's only 15 minutes-ish long, so it's so easy to listen to. You're not devoting an hour to it, which, you know, we have hour-long hour long plus episodes, so who am I to talk? But it's a different kind of thing when you know you're getting into some, like, really heady, conceptual, found audio thing. You're like, I don't know if I'm listening to an hour of that, but you could totally do 15 minutes. Right. Um, and then once they get you in, I've seen that some of their later seasons have some longer episodes, but at that point, you're sort of bought in. Yeah, and so we were talking about, like, Lovecraftian things. This, this non-Euclidean geometry is like theoretical and things that are outside of like what physics we know and that sort of thing and uh that is like kind of Lovecraftian right like the uh, the things that we can't understand that are beyond our understanding and and uh like you know created by what you know what 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 laws do these things have to abide by within our world that's why I I try to I, I like the term cosmic versus Lovecraftian not just because he was a huge racist but also because Lovecraft was I and I haven't read a ton of him but he he tied a lot of that to his elder god mythos right whereas to me cosmic horror is more like the feeling of horror that you can you can be hit with when trying to wrap your head around stuff that is beyond human comprehension and that to me is a cosmic perspective that inflicts horror upon us small humans and that that's the kind of stuff you're talking about there where it just breaks the laws of reality and you can play with that in audio because like you can't see it you're imagining it and that's the same thing you do in books all the time where you can you can describe things that when you make an adaptation it's really difficult because a filmmaker's like got to figure out how to make that look on screen or yeah what to show and what not to show I don't want to have any spoilers or anything, but like you think of like Annihilation. Yeah. Like the things that we saw and, you know, interpretations that had to be made and things like that. So, yeah. Anyway, so I'm totally with you. Um, I want to get your your initial takes. First off, your journey with this. You listen to the podcast, the first five episodes before you watched the show. Yep. Yep. That's what I did, too. So what was your what was your kind of like vibe you were getting from it? You know, how where were you at going into the show? I mean, mostly just that I I didn't really like this to consume this kind of audio drama kind of stuff, or at least I, I had been avoiding it for a little while. This this made me realize that it's sort of this untapped area that I need to explore more because through these few episodes, and like you said, the shorter nature of them make them very consumable. There the, and and it takes you on a really fun journey after just an episode or two. You get you get drawn in. Um, 
I, I had a really good time. And like I said, I, I would like to think that this will lead me into searching out other audio drama yeah. sort of. There's like, some really famous ones out there that I've heard of. Well, you know, a lot more than Archive 81, which is interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I if, you know, write in if you know more of if this is like a genre you actually follow closely. Where does Archive 81 sit in the pantheon of these kinds of shows? Um, is it is it like an upstart that that got an adaptation out of the blue or is it like one of the OGs that everybody talks about? Like, I don't really know. You know what I mean? Like when where it sits compared to some of the other really big name ones. Yeah. One way or another for me, because we're you know covering it for the podcast, it's definitely, you know, changed that perspective in me to where I feel like I could definitely jump into something else and get drawn in and really enjoy myself. I absolutely love writing stuff and reading stuff, honestly, that that plays with form. And we'll try and give you like direct media. So like in a in a we've talked about epistolary stuff in a in a book where you can be like, here is the actual letter one character wrote to another. And you can just replicate that letter in the book itself. And that's basically what you're doing here. You have Dan who is recording himself, and he's recording his conversation with this other character who um, is is sort of like he's hired him for this weird job to 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 go through this archive of old old audio about this building, the Vistler building. And you have his direct audio, but then you have the audio of the stuff he's listening to, which is itself a recording by this Melody Pendrus character. Um, and it kind of it kind of like seamlessly goes between the two. And there's so there's also like parallel narratives going on which i love um each one is spilling into each other in in like un like creepy ways um i think that really gets leaned to in the show but we even get a little bit of that here in the podcast so far um and just weird stuff gets keeps happening and there's always this un this idea of like there's more story that we're not privy to and things get referenced that we haven't encountered yet and like that is always like that's like the same thing with any good found for- footage film is like the idea that there's even more story than you're only seeing a piece of it because this is what was recovered or whatever. Right. If you buy into the fiction of it. Um, and I found myself doing that this time, even though I will say I could tell this was not a big production, that this was very sort of bootstrappy, like someone just made this thing and it, it kind of sounded that way. It wasn't like big name voice actors. Um, the acting is at times in the podcast at times um, a little uneven at time, a little, a little stiff. Um, it didn't talk. It didn't take me out of it, but I could tell, right? Like you can kind of tell a professional versus someone who's maybe acting for the first time or, or hasn't done a lot of it. Um, and there was a little bit of that going on, but it didn't take me out of it. Some, some people better than others. Um, and overall, I think it's, it didn't take away from it. Clearly, it was enough for this to gain a lot of steam and get a little bit, um, uh, get a little bit viral, and uh, you know, get a get a name for itself. So it didn't hold it back. Um, I don't know. What, what was your thoughts as far as that? As far as the uh, production quality of it? So I like that part of it actually because it is like there's something that feels more raw about it, right? Like yeah. so somebody finds found footage stuff and they're trying to put something together now. Granted, like they're listening back to archive stuff that shouldn't sound like it's being acted. Yeah, which is where I understand where you're coming. There's from. a difference between sounding like someone who's not an actor versus sounding like it's being acted, but the acting is obvious, and that's where it was not as good. But overall, either either way, I like in the meta way. I like that 
someone created this, you know, just sheer force of will. They're like, I'm going to create this. I'm going to get friends and family, whoever involved and put this thing together and create this story. I have this really good idea for a story. And then uh, the other part of me is like some of it plays well for me. Some of it is like a little weird. And and the, I think the parts that that shine for me are the like little special effects that you have to yeah. do in there. And those, and are, those are the cool. places where I think it's sold that it was like, you know, may have been a small production, but it was, you know, it had it had gumption in the right areas. Right. All right. So I want to touch a little bit on the background I was able to find for the podcast itself, and then we can get into the show because I have so many thoughts. So unlike traditional podcast formats, the first season of Archive 81 was recorded over the course of a few weekends by a script put together by uh, the creators of the podcast, Daniel Powell and Mark Solinger. The podcast is told without a narrator to set the scene, allowing listeners to piece together a chilling story for themselves through the character's various audio files. Uh, according to this, the podcast was an instant hit and quickly built up loyal fans, which allowed uh, Powell and Solinger to c- cultivate a level of success by maintaining a tight release schedule, social media presence, and a carefully mapped out story. So Daniel Powell began recording radio shows at a young age using his family computer and Windows 95. He graduated from the Darlington School and began his career in sound engineering. Powell was working from home in isolation, reviewing and archiving sound effects from an audio library for a company called SoundSnap, when he and his friend Mark Solinger came up with the idea for Archive 81. Solinger worked as an associate producer on a radio program called Innovation Hub, which had support and funding. Uh, Archive 81 did not have the same support and funding as Innovation Hub because it was produced independently, which meant that the first season was written, performed recorded and edited by themselves in a friend's bedroom. That's what it felt like. Love to hear that. (laughs) So uh, I have to mention, like, mostly as we get into the show, too, I have an experience that really, like, aligns with some of this stuff. So this sort of, like, archiving and some of that stuff that I'll talk about more when we get to the TV show. But the kinship that I feel with people who do this sort of, like, organization and archiving and stuff like this, it's, it's a very specific type of person and a very specific job that like sort of is on the outskirts at some points of like different kinds of productions and different kinds of careers. Yeah. I, I yeah, I mean I I was definitely thinking of you during this and wondering I was like, "Oh man, is this going to like unlock a new hobby for for James? <laughs> He's going to all of a sudden start collecting cuz the idea of like it's the show starts with with him collecting old VHSs that that like he doesn't even know what's on them. He's just going to like take them home right. and find out. Um it's like a super like like esoteric thing to do but super cool i don't know i, I think it's really neat i i don't think you're gonna see me doing that i just don't <laughs> think i have the patience for it but at the same time like i don't know the the idea of like archiving and like preserving and like we Restoring. just talked about the criterion collection yeah. like last week right yeah because we so the criterion collection is this right like they're finding legit they're finding reels like like old film reels and things like that that need to be preserved and restoring them. And, and, and it's like, it's a, it's a really noble pursuit. I, I'm always a big fan of that. Kind Not of thing. to go on a tangent, but this is also a big thing in other forms of media. I know there's a, there's a movement in video games because for historically there has been no effort to preserve video games. So as these technologies change and the systems able to play them change and the, the, the TVs change, some of these things are not ever, replicated and so they're locked into these cartridges that are deteriorating over time and were not designed to last forever and so literally there are games from like the 80s and 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 around that or 90s like even that are starting to be extremely rare 
and get to the point where they're going to cease to exist if someone doesn't somehow find a way to preserve them. Like, those games will just be gone, and that part of video game history will be lost forever. So that, it's 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 weird, because you assume in the age of the internet, you're like, oh, everything is, is in the cloud and, and there forever, but all this stuff that predated that, that's not the case. And some of that stuff will just disappear. I've seen a lot of stuff about people who are like made it their life's goal to like go find all every game that came out on Atari and you know what I mean that kind of stuff and go go like digitize it and and then get it on online in some way. Right. Well, and then you have situations where certain companies it was a disappointment so they try and like destroy them, destroy yeah, copies like e. and stuff like ET. Anyway, we're going down a rabbit hole. But like this kind of stuff is kind of what it's about though, this restoration and then um in uh, just the idea of these like found footage uh there's so many weird tapes and audio recordings out there that aren't produced that are um that have content on them that that you know the idea of finding something like that is spooky right like it's it's got mysteries to it um and to me this is there's a little bit of a kitchen sink like tons of different stuff going on but it feels kind of mystery boxy to me Um, uh and i i God, I'm a sucker for that kind of show, especially if they can, you know, if they can deliver on the promises. So that that's kind of the thing I'm waiting to see in the in the actual TV show. But like, man, I love those those kind of those mysteries. It's fun. It's a it's a mystery along the way. And then, of course, you add in like the horror elements. I love this kind of like horror. It's like Black Mirror slash Stranger Things slash like all of these different things coming together. And yeah. So speaking of influences, Powell and Solinger have said that Orson Welles' radio drama, The War of the Worlds, which I think you mentioned earlier, was an inspiration and influence on their work. Um, The show has also has influences from uh, paranormal horror popularized in 90s television series such as Twin Peaks and The X-Files. Um, similarities to uh, David Cronenberg's film Videodrome. The show also has similarities to the urban horror themes present in a series such as Candyman, which is another one I, I definitely thought of because of the sort of projects and the idea of urban legends and like like a haunted building almost. Like, well, and someone going in to do like a historic piece on it or whatever, yeah, like something it, academic. There's sort of a social disconnect there too, and then you know. I think we're definitely touching on that. Maybe not as like prominently as Candyman does, but it's there. Um, so I can see all those influences. Just real quick before we leave the podcast behind, after the boom of the first season of the podcast, Powell and Solinger turned to Patreon to fund a second season and found success. Solinger continues to write scripts for the episodes while Powell produces the design, sound, and music. Season two was released in January of 2017 to even more acclaim. Dead Signals, the duo's production company, went on to produce a third season that aired in May 2018. Uh, There is now 35 episodes in total, and I was seeing that there was some episodes in 2019 of like a little mini series. I think some of these are like related but separate stories that get told. Um, But yeah, 35 episodes in total now uh, going up through 2019. I don't know what the status of the show is currently, um, but... uh, you know, there's definitely a lot more material that could have been drawn on or could be drawn on uh, for, for a future show if somehow we were to ever get more seasons of it, which I know is going to be a big topic. We're going to we're going to touch on periodically and definitely by the end, we're going to we're going to have a conversation about that. But um, if you're ready, I am I am so ready to talk about the show. I want to start by talking about the showrunner. Rebecca Sonenshine is a writer and producer known for her work on The Boys, The Vampire Diaries, and The Crossing, as well as Archive 81. Rebecca was nominated for an Emmy in Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series category for the season two finale episode of The Boys called What I Know. I do like The Boys. I, I, I 
been been uh, been enjoying that show. It's very dark and and uh, interesting. So that's cool that she she works on that. Yeah. Uh, so notably, a writer and producer. In this case, she was the showrunner. You know, I think the show has really good vision, and Is and like I, I want to start from there. I feel like I saw some also some big name producers for this thing. Yeah, I think James Wan was like the the big name one that yeah. they would put in the trailer. That's who I was thinking of. What what yeah. is he what has he done like why do I know that name Oh so Mo, it's funny he's had a, he's had quite a career for himself uh, he started out as one of the creators of Saw and then would go on to create Insidious and The Conjuring and then he did a Fast and the Furious film Oh interesting <laughs> Yeah and then he did uh, Aquaman recently Oh wow okay Yeah so he's kind of been all over the place but he started in horror mostly yeah Yeah I I mean I, I don't know if how much of an effect he has on this show or not but um it's it's um it's spooky man like this show is the kind of horror i am so into it's so it's creepy the found footage stuff plays so well i love that there's such a natural transition you can do of instead of audio cassettes well although we do get some of that later um it's videotapes you know it's vhs and it, it works so well and i appreciated the change and this is where i'll talk about my relation to this kind of thing so um early on after PA work, I started doing in post-production, like professionally, I started doing uh, like media managing and DITing. And so like it's not quite as intensive or as interesting as like actually going through tapes and, and like cleaning them and then digitizing them, which I did do a little bit of like getting stuff from tape to digital, but it wasn't as exciting as what he's doing, like, you know, recreating the tapes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a show. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so DIT is a digital imaging technician. And uh, basically your job is to inject, get footage from a shoot, ingest it, back it up, um, and then like prep it in terms of like looks that the, that the cinematographer or DP is looking for. You go through and create like a certain look as far as color because usually you're getting raw footage or, or like log footage, which is like it looks like really like to describe it, it's like black and white grayish kind of looking. And the point of it is to get the most dynamic range in your in your shot, um, in order, and it's basically interpreting the f- whatever you're shooting as ones and zeros, and, and it's saying like levels of darkness and lightness in contrast within an image, and then in post production you add color to it, and you have a lot more control over the the dynamic range of an image. Anyway, so you you ingest the footage, and what ends up happening, right, is p- productions tend to go 10, 12 hours sometimes. And so they're shooting, what, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and then they're handing off footage to a DIT or a media manager. And when you get that footage, it's 6 p.m. at night. And then your job starts, and there's a lot of data involved with shoots, especially now with, like, the, you know, if they're shooting 4K or beyond, like, it starts to add up quickly. You're si- so you're there in a production office, usually by yourself, till late at night for long periods of time and you're doing a job that's very like it i don't know it's very technical very small scale like this it's really important because it's like you have the whole shoot on your shoulders but like so this is that i was like seeing a lot of the the similarities in this and seeing how someone could do something like archiving tapes and then take it and be like what if i started seeing crazy shit in this footage yeah and like and like you're i mean like there is I've been in some strange places by myself in the middle of the night with like glass windows everywhere where people <laughs> could see in but I couldn't see out uh-huh. and stuff and and like not that there was a lot of people walking by but it is it can be there a little creepy like no question <laughs> yeah and so like uh yeah I was I was definitely like vibing to the you know and I haven't done that kind of job in a long time because I started really concentrating on camera work but 
that was, you know, that was something that I, I saw a lot of uh, something that I had done before. And it's really cool. Right? Like seeing him take the actual film out and like clean it. And he's wearing these gloves that reminded me of like, you just you just showed me you got a new vinyl player. A record mm-hmm. player and you have this little glove for like handling the vinyl itself right and he had these white gloves he's handling this this stuff and he's got a little brush that he cleans it off with and he's spooling yep. it like i don't know it just looks so cool and technical um and it's like a, it's like he's an archaeologist but for exactly for tape like i don't know it's really neat um I, I so i i just want to like adequately express how fun and spooky this show is like i it's starting off just kicking off with that like introductory found footage bit of uh just like the weird static and then you see flashes and you hear weird sounds and you know it's uh it ends up being melody pendrous you find later who's like screaming and she's running from something and you're just getting pieces of it and it's distorted and that leads into the show it's such a great way to start things off and such a mood setter and um and then we we you know we we slowly start to find more and more weirdness and uh, I just it's so inventive and it's like they took this creative idea and are just it changed form. They they keep a lot of what was made it what made it so interesting in the audio. But then they're adding all these new layers that they're able to explore in the new medium. Yeah. And and in terms of referencing the original source, I was I kept thinking like somewhere in here and I, I looked pretty, pretty intensely online they have to reference like I, I guarantee that the the people who made the podcast are in the show somewhere. And I think those clips that happen at the beginning of some of the episodes that are like commercials or this or that, I think they're going to hide them in like like one of those scenes or something like that. Oh, eventually, the, the, the podcasters like I, yeah. I bet they're in the show. Somewhere. They're pretty similar. Like you, if you told me that like one of the. I mean, I think they were different because I did just listen to them and they seemed like they, they had been kind of redone. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they snuck something in. The thing that I do love as far as like referencing the podcast, there is a character in this show named Mark who is basically a podcaster who makes a narrative podcast like Archive 81. And he it's like it's like instead of having a writer character like Stephen King has, you know, all the time, he, they have a podcaster who makes a narrative podcast and it's called like Strange Signals or something. And like the real company these two guys founded is called like Dead Signals. So they're definitely like playing with that. And like, I love that character that um, that Mark Higgins character, like, I don't know, I just really identify with him. Like he's he's just he's like, I love that he's just like a normal looking dude. He he's a he seems like a good guy. He runs this podcast. He's open minded about the supernatural stuff, but not like ridiculously so. Like he's still reasonable about it. He cares about his friend Dan. Um, I, I just love he has this interaction with Virgil later on where he's just like, no, fuck you. Like he just like I love the way he, he stood up to him. It's like the way that we would hope we would all behave like if, if we were put in a situation like that. I really like that character. He's a, he's kind of a fan favorite for me right now. But I, I like a lot of the characters, are, you know, across the board. But he's a standout. In terms of, like, performances, I think pretty much across the board, I've been happy with everybody's. Yeah. Um, the actor who plays Dan, uh, and forgive me if I'm saying this incorrectly, Mamadou Athey, is uh, a particular standout to me. I think he's he really, really like, works as the lead of this story. He, like, conveys a lot of emotion. There's a lot of him being by himself. So he's really having to carry the show. Just like staring at something and reacting to it without doing too much, but still conveying emotion. That is tough. I've been pretty impressed oh, overall. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this show's really well made. Like overall, 
I, you know, there's so many references. Like, I love that when he actually goes to this bunker, you know, there's, there's Stephen King books. There's, yeah. you know, the thing It's like one of the VHSs he's looking at. There's mm-hmm. all these references to this like eighties and nineties horror. Um, well, I have to talk about so my cool. favorite reference too. So multiple times Tarkovsky has been, has been mentioned. Tarkovsky, uh, Andre Tarkovsky is like one of the most, I would say, uh, important filmmakers potentially ever. He's a Russian filmmaker and he was making films in like the 60s and a little later. And one of my films that I have that I bought from the Criterion Collection is called Solaris. And oh, yeah. I love this film. I've talked to you about it before. Yeah, I haven't seen it. And, and like, so this film like is being referenced a few times. There's He's showing it on TV. Mm-hmm. They're watching and it he's on watching TV it at one point. At one point. And uh, he's got t-shirts that are like Criterion. He had a Criterion t-shirt oh, at I one point. I didn't catch that. That's cool. Yeah. It's not, it's like, it's like the Criterion logos up here, but it's a film. I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with the film, uh-huh. but um. Yeah, so to reference Tarkovsky, Tarkovsky is known for like super surrealist, um, like dreamlike memory, messes with memory a lot. And um, Tarkovsky was doing it in an era and a time period when he was operating in a period where like there was a lot of censorship and like some of these things couldn't be represented. And so he would always, his films always have a lot of like spiritual, metaphysical themes and like dreamlike. And like, so he, he works in all these, these messages and things that would have been caught by the censors of the time into these like stories about dreams and metaphysical and memory and all, all of these different ways that, and so I can clearly see that the filmmakers are fans of Tarkovsky, they're referencing him. Mm. And then also it's like signaling that this story is going to, cause I think it was the first episode that they're yeah. talking about Tarkovsky. Yeah, man. So, I mean, so much happens in this first episode, you know, and it, this is, you know, I guess technically a, a, uh, pilot episode and for a pilot, I was like, damn, this is incredibly good. Um, it's really spooky. There's this, there's this character, Jesse, who has been like sort of, um, uh, gender swapped from a character who was in the the podcast itself. Um, but she is this, this kid who, uh, befriends Melanie, uh, Melody. I, I thought it was Melanie Pinterest for a while. And I was like, oh, it's weird to have a character named Pinterest. Um, <laughs> Pinterest. And then I realized it's Melody Pendress, Pendress, something like that. Anyway, um, anyway they befriend each other and then she has this seizure and like i thought the acting job there was really really spectacular where she just looks off and she starts moving back away from the table and she's seeing something and reacting to it um so creepy and there's something like dark on the wall behind her that i couldn't make out what it was because this show looks like shadows yeah a lot of like silhouettes and shadows and things that are like like clearly added in later the show loves to like focus on the characters and leave other things sort of blurry and I think part of it is just because it it helps sell that it was a different time period without having to like go in and get all the little details perfect. Um, but also it creates this effect where you're like not sure what you're seeing in the background. Um, and that that was where I was at there. And um, I thought overall this was this was a spectacular uh, uh, pilot. I don't know, do we want to let's maybe do the summary of, of yeah. what actually goes on? Yeah, sure. I just want to mention with what you're talking about, the I think James Wan is known for putting like faces and stuff in the back. And I don't know that that was his influence, but he, you know, was a producer. Maybe he thought it would be a good idea. But hiding like having that lurking shadow or like the face that you can see in things like the silhouette, weird silhouettes that don't look like silhouettes. Like it's not like a shadow. It's just like there's something there. It looks well, like a human shape. Our brains shape almost. like we naturally are looking for threats like that. So like it, it kind of hijacks our our uh, psychology, right? To like find shapes in the in the shadow and and look for threats. 
the static in some of the VHSs we're seeing like faces pressing and it, weird like weird stuff that are like trying to come through. It reminds me of this the movie from the early 2000s. I forget the noise, or the, the name right now, but like something noise or Oh, I thought something. you were talking about The Ring. <laughs> no, not The Ring. There's like, it's literally like Signal. Like it's like oh, these like. Oh yeah, I don't think I saw it, but I, I feel like I know yeah. what you're referencing. Anyway, let's get into the first episode. Yeah. The first episode is called Mystery Signals. Dan is a conservator who is asked to work on a tape. He restores it and watches the introduction to Melody's PhD dissertation in 1994 about an apartment building called The Visser. The tape is for Virgil Davenport of LMG, and Virgil invites him to fix the rest of the tapes. Though he finds it strange that Virgil somehow knows that Dan's family died in a fire when he was young, he accepts. As the tapes are too fragile to be moved, he goes to live in a research campus owned by LMG. Virgil gives Dan a bracelet that he can summon emergency medical staff as there is no internet or cell reception, and Dan has a history of mental health issues. Melody looks for Jess, a kid from the building that she claims was taken. As she is fighting with the guards, Dan's father arrives and tries to take her down. Dan is left shocked about his father's connection. It is revealed that Dan is being watched. Yeah, uh, so much is, is revealed, honestly, and set up here. I, I was I was really you know, astounded with how much they were able to pack in here. So good. Um, I, I feel like, I don't know how you, if you, like, you should watch this pilot and then you'll get a good feel for whether or not you're going to like this show because it sets up a lot of the, the, the vibes, the, the major storylines that are going to, we're going to be tracking going forward, the characters. Some notable changes too, right? So we don't know in the podcast, we don't know sort of the context of anything. We We know a lot less in the, in the podcast because there's a lot less He's taking a job to correct the, to fix these tapes. He is in some sort of facility out in the middle of nowhere kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. With a governmenty type person who's telling him what to do and like how things are going to go. And that that character is very creepy in the podcast by the way. I want to mention that. But in the podcast that's the standout performance to me is like like really selling me on the Oh really? On that. I think the whoever plays Melody might be my favorite in the podcast. She's really really good. Yeah. Yeah, she's good. Some th- some notable changes, right? So he's offered $100,000 to do it. $100,000 is enough money to where you're like you would think about it, but it's also like it's not going to change your life necessarily. Yeah. Um. So it's like it's like bringing up this idea, like, would you do? And you it? can tell that like this guy's creepy. Like the situation is weird. You have to go live in isolation for who knows how long. He knows stuff about your family he shouldn't know, and he says no at first, which I think is also like a, a key thing for a lot of heroes' journey type stuff, where like the the protagonist says no, but then the no becomes a yes. Um, well, and it also like makes it more believable for us because like I think most people would say like this is way too creepy. I'm not taking it. And then he like he gets drawn back in by the fact that there's something going on. Or I guess that he doesn't even know about his dad yet. He takes it without knowing anything. No, he just I think he just takes it because he he does see I think the tape about Melody. Oh, the dog. It was the dog. There's the dog. Yeah. So these these weird things start lining up where like he recognizes his family dog in a picture with this Melody character. He's like, how can that be my dog? Um, there's so many little creepy things like that. And they, I, I just love the way they dole them out to us. The other thing is up front in the podcast, he's told that he's being monitored and watched 24 yeah. seven, which is like, that's that. If that, I think that if this Virgil character said that to Dan in the show, nobody would take that. Yeah. For, especially not for a hundred thousand dollars, but, uh, so not telling him that he's being monitored, I think makes it more where you're like, okay, like, you know, it just seems like maybe a job. Yeah, man. But but in the podcast, I was like, Jesus, dude. And then they, they make it very, very serious that he needs to keep the recording on. In the first episode, I believe, yeah. they're like, do not turn the recording off at any point. And then he does and they freak out. Yeah. So in the show, you know, we learn about this. There was a fire apparently at the Vistler building and the fate of Melody is sort of unknown. 
at this point. Um, and then we also find out that his family died in a fire. And then there's this connection revealed at the end of the episode between her father or his father and Melody, who, who they knew each other. Um, so there's all these weird connections coming up and it's starting to feel like there is some sort of cosmic influence drawing him to this place and to this, to this program. And then the L was it LMG, whatever the name of this company is, they have such like corporate overlord, like shady, like man in black from the X files, but it, you know, like there's who knows what all they're getting into, what power this guy actually has, how much he actually knows. He's very mysterious. Um, I'm eating all that stuff up and like, that's why this show feels like it's coming at you from all these different angles. You have that side, you have some stuff that feels almost like it's alien, but then you have like demon stuff, um, like hints of stuff being kind of, uh, cosmic or, or yeah, like, like it could be an actual demon. There's mentions of parallel universes and other worlds. Um, discussion of the supernatural. I love that, you know, Dan, of course, is like a non-believer. He's like, I don't believe any of that stuff. And we're like, like, like that's such a good place to start with a character who's going to go through this. Um, and then, of course, everything is left open to the idea of like, maybe Dan is losing his mind because a lot of this stuff, as we're going to get into in later episodes, starts to feel like it's it's also like time travel-y and, and, you know, yeah. I love that. And that, that kind of reminds me of like, again, to bring up Lovecraft. In Lovecraft Country, which we loved, yeah. um, it's an anthology, so it's a little different, but at the same time, like different kinds of supernatural threats throughout that show. And this is kind of that, that idea too. Like yeah. we don't know where it's coming from, what kind of supernatural shit we're going to get. It's into. just this nexus of supernatural shit is happening at this building or yeah. happened at this building. And, but it's still got this effect that can reach you through these tapes, which is just a really cool idea. Um, and I, I so I do want to give like, my one minor thing that I didn't quite love, and it's such a minor thing, but I just want to like, I'm, I'm going to kind of gush about the show because I'm really, really enjoying it. Like this has been something like uh, Station Eleven I love too, but for, in like a very different way. Um, I'm just loving watching the show. I found myself wanting to binge it and I had to stop. Um, but because uh, I was like, oh, no, I can't go past episode four because that's as far as we're getting on, on this episode of the podcast. But anyway, um, at the end of the pilot, they chose to at first show like kind of a shape of a figure standing and then it almost looked like a face in the in the static. And then a third time where it's very clearly a face in the static and it looks kind of like a demon or an alien and it's very like close and big and kind of clear for being a static image. The third one was a bit too much. I wanted, like, the first two were good. The first two, like, were creepy. I could tell it was intentional, but you, there's still part of you that's like, oh, am I just seeing something? The third one was like, can't miss it. And I know that that's probably why they did it. They Like, you have to appeal to everybody. We've talked about this and other stuff. Like, not everything is made for the really careful observers who are going to record a podcast about something later and are really paying attention. Um, so I feel like you want to get it across. Like, yes, there is some sort of shape and weirdness going on in the static. Um, but to me, it was just a bit strong. I, I, I like it. I would have liked it to pull back a little bit there and let it be a little more ambiguous. And again, minor, minor criticism. I mean, I definitely see that, that, that sort of thing comes with a territory of like in, in a different, I think the show presents a certain tone that would make you think that they're going to play it more subtle. Like, and then, and then you get a few times where you're getting, clearly there's something going on. That's not normal. The first time we get that, it probably would be enough. Uh, and then doing it three times and then having it be obvious one of the times is a choice, right? Like you're making a choice as a horror show or 
TV or movie or whatever it is, you're making a choice to say like, this isn't the movie where it's as subtle and metaphorical and like potentially well, not. I think it's the kind, it's the kind of scare, right? Like y- y- if you didn't have that third one, the scare is more subtle and it's more like a lingering creepiness. That third one is more of a, oh shit, I saw a face. I saw a monster, right? Like that is a dramatic final scene, I guess. And they're, they're, they're wanting to leave you with a punch because it's the end of the pilot. So I get it. Yeah, I had to look up the the movie that I was thinking of. I think it's called White Noise from 2005. Okay, that would make sense. And there's like, there's like creatures or something on the other side. And like they're trying to come through with electronic voice phenomena. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's not it's not great okay. if I remember correctly. It's not, it's not, I'm not recommending it. The second episode is called Wellspring. Dan calls his friend Mark from his cell phone in the woods, realizing that Virgil searched him out intentionally. Mark convinces him to keep working on the tapes to understand why his father was involved. Jess introduces Melody to more of the Visser's residents, including Beatrice and Samuel, who asks her out. Dr. Turner leaves a message on the answering machine for Melody, revealing she is a patient of his. She deletes it. While looking for cell service, Dan sees a child in a red jacket outside the fence who flees. He, he finds a secret area in the research facility, and Virgil tells him that Dr. Turner may have set the fire that killed Dan's family. One night, Melody finds many residents, including Samuel, in the basement, worshipping a statue. Mark reveals to Dan that Melody is alive and did not die in the Visser fire. God, I just love that so much. So much weird shit yeah. happens in this show. I'm, so, I, I'm just watching it with a smile on my face, which is probably a weird thing for people who are watching this creepy-ass show, but I just love this stuff. Um Man, the um, uh, the pre-roll, just as soon as you turn on an episode, you get this like direct footage from something and it, and you don't know the context of it. You're going to find out when you watch the episode. And this time it's like this commercial for this Wellspring company. And it's very like bright and shiny. And it sounds like a commercial for like one of these genetic companies. Um, you don't know what the hell that's about. Right. And then it just it's cr- but it's off. It's unsettling in its own way. I forget if it has some sort of other stuff to did in the end. I don't know if you remember if it did, but I, yeah, I assume it probably did. But um, it's just so good. And every episode has something like this at the beginning that sets the tone and, and gives some sort of reference to something that's going to happen later in the episode. And they're always so good. I love this. It's very cool. Even like WandaVision, I oh, think, yeah. like uh, had like mid credit roles that they would do where it would be like weird commercials in the middle of it. It is one of those things where you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, the, why does this like Wellspring commercial have anything to do with what we're seeing? And then eventually he like, you know, breaks it down into their... Yeah. He finds a fucking tunnel and... behind his pantry wall because there's all these lies that have been told to him. He's creeping. He finds a mysterious tunnel. He goes into it. He's creeping around in the dark. Like It's so, I don't know, it's so good. Um, and then at the same time, we're having this parallel story that I'm really invested in with Melody. And it's being viewed. Not only am I watching Melody Pendris do her investigation, I know that Dan is watching it. So while I'm watching it, I'm always thinking about what Dan is thinking when he sees this. That's really cool. And part of that for me turns into I shouldn't I shouldn't pay as much attention to it, but I'm always watching where she's holding the camera. Yeah. <laughs> no, I started noticing that too. I'm like, what can he actually see and what 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 are we seeing? There are times that it's like facing a wall or she's holding it completely down. It's like the context of the scene. And then there are other times where she's like just like talking to somebody and it's just like waving <laughs> yeah. around and I'm like, oh, this would be brutal to try to watch through. You'd be getting dizzy because like this camera's going everywhere. Yeah. But um I'm glad that we don't always see her exact footage because it would be like like but when we do, it's cool, it's enough. You get a little bit of that that feel, but 
we actually just get a full like HD, you know, pristine scene, but we get the context of it's it, this is he's experiencing it through the camera. They do it enough like practically to say like, oh, yeah, like remember we're in the footage we're in and then they'll come out of it and they make it clear sometimes and they use it for creepy effects sometimes too the way that like it's really grainy and everything from the camcorder that like it, they use it for for fun effects sometimes oh and he's watching it then all of a sudden like there's some crazy sound and he has to take his headphones off and then like the he i, I always love the moments where he stops a scene and rewinds it and plays it again and he's playing it really slow and he's focusing on like a look she gave the camera or something and we don't know what he's seeing, and it's never really explained. But there's like there's something strange about it, and it's not something you can normally do watching a show. You can't normally rewind and be like, "Hey, that was kind of weird. I want to see that again." But then he does it. Um, I, I think that's just so cool, and like it adds a, adds a layer to that scene. As you're like, "What was Dan going back for? What did he see in this scene?" Well, like with you talked about the Jess sort of seizure that happens, yeah, and like there's something clearly going on. There's like a weird face kind of thing happening, and when he takes it back, it's actually like skipped at that part. Then like it's kind of like re like meshed itself or something to the point that like yeah it skipped ahead and like in a tape that's not possible so it's creepy and weird to think about what's going on um one of my favorite and creepiest and most tense parts so far was the worshiping the fucking statue oh my god i loved that so much so good she okay so first off this is set up in the first episode where she's hearing weird ass sounds coming from the like wall this like ac unit or or radiator or whatever it is and she's listening at it and she can hear this weird sound and she thinks it's the composer maybe, but then she says it wasn't her. And then she hears about a sex cult in the basement from uh, from 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 this other character, Beatrice. And then so she's like, she hears the sounds and she goes to investigate it. And it's a room full of fucking people humming along or like making sounds to this weird music. And there's this fucking figurine in a cabinet that looks like an alien demon yeah. face. Yeah. And it, I think it looks kind of like the thing we saw in the static. Is my Probably, guess. yeah. And uh, they're clearly, like, worshipping it or something. She's hiding and recording it. So it feels like we're with her, like, hiding. You know what I mean? Like, it feels it's very tense. Um, and it's creepy as hell. And, of course, there's the guy who she's just had this date with and who's been all charming, Samuel. Um, and, of course, like, I've listened. He shows up on the podcast and he's, like, immediately creepy and weird. But I love that they kind of slow roll it here and they make him seem like he might be a good guy who can be on her on her side. So we we think like maybe that she's having this connection with this guy and that he's going to be someone she can trust. But then we see him at this thing kind of leading it. And then afterwards, he has sex with the composer lady while Melody's like hiding in a fucking behind the, you know, behind a, a, a screen. Super weird. Um, really creepy. Love it. So good. Yeah, it was just it was my favorite part probably so far just because it was so like crazy and then it's you know that that statue altar thing keeps being like seen and shown off and uh, well she's trying to get into it throughout like the rest of the next two episodes but then when she does finally get into it later we'll talk about like it's not the same thing it's a different thing so yeah really interesting and then we meet this strange woman with red hair who does this like air kiss when she meets people and she's always staring off into the distance i thought she was smelling people yeah she's very strange and and we we've gotten a little bit of her in these few episodes and then we're leading up to stuff later um so this is the point where i immediately realized and i I have to bring it up now even though we're going to touch back on this i immediately realized that netflix has made a big strategic mistake with the way that they release this show this mystery box format 
works best when it is a week-to-week thing. And I know, I know people love being able to uh, binge. I get it. I also like binging. But this show needed to be an eight-week phenomenon that grew in popularity on the internet as everybody started talking about and theorizing about what is going on. And instead, I can't I can't tweet about the specifics of the mystery. I, you know, I can't talk to people about the specifics of the mystery because I don't know what episode they're on. And they know stuff that I don't know. So what ends up happening is you are actually shutting down conversation as people don't want to spoil it for their friends. I, I, I know people love it, but like there are times where it works and there are times where it does not. And I think this show suffers maybe more than anything else from that because this is a show that would have built steam and would have built a following and would have built a lot of discussion and instead you shut it all down you drop the entire thing on on there so people who do like it can binge it all in a day or two and then it's over and then they forget about it and they don't they don't build that attachment that you get from like having appointment television that you can then talk about you know around the digital water cooler the next day to reiterate what i was saying like you are preaching the choir here i and one of the people that I absolutely love binging, but the delayed gratification of certain shows, of waiting week to week, of talking and building the hype um, is proven to build it into the zeitgeist more. Like you can look at at trends on Google searches and, and Twitter, what people are talking about, and you see a show that comes out on Netflix, drops everything immediately. Even if it's mega popular, it spikes and then it falls heavily and then it's not talked about a lot. And if you look at a show like, for example, one of the bigger appointment television shows for a long time was Game of Thrones. And if you looked at like, it was year round, people were talking about it because they were, yeah, there were people who would straggle into it. Think about the theory crafting you could do for this show. Well, imagine this and imagine this, right? So Netflix's model is to drop everything all at the same time, every episode of everything. If Netflix made an actual effort to say like, we're doing an event, we're going to drop this as one of our first shows that we do week by week and made it a big deal and use that as part of the marketing, people are going to check it out and it'll build up steam like you said. And if it's good, it'll be like a fucking, it'll be like a cacophony of noise at the end. Everybody will be like, oh my God, I got to talk about this show. This show had, had, had hit potential. I think it was just mishandled, which is so frustrating to me because it's, it's very good. It's just not something that... I think a lot of people are going to immediately recognize as something they're going to like. You're going to have to build word of mouth. You're going to have to let something kind of naturally grow. And look at what the podcast did. They released episode by episode, week by week. They let it grow. They integrated it into this meta narrative where he was saying like, hey, you know, let me know if you've heard about my friend Dan. I'm, I'm looking for him. And people started following it and getting caught up in it. And then they had time to say, hey, man. You should check out this podcast. They've only got three episodes out. Go listen to them. They're short. You can catch up. And then you could get your friends on it and you're all at the same place. You can't do this with this show. You can't theorycraft at all unless you can be like, hey, have you only seen three episodes? Yeah, I've only seen three. Okay, let's talk about what we think is going on. But even when you do that, you know the answer is there. So yeah. it feels kind of pointless. You're like, all we also, really need to do is keep watching the show. Yeah, I also think people who are really into certain shows wear the fact that they are caught up as a badge of honor, like being like, yeah. oh, I'm four episodes in. I got to get my friend on it. And like, even when it gets close to the finale, that when the finale is about to come out, that's when tons of people will be like, oh, shit, this, sh- this show is supposed to be amazing. I want to be there for the finale and be yep. a part of this right at the last second. It can become a community building thing around it. Yeah. And like I, I wanted to like I immediately wanted to start it over. And like if I had someone who I was going to introduce to it. Now, this is not like, unfortunately, this show is a little too creepy for my wife's so like I can't get her to do it. Like it's, it's too much. Um, but. 
if I had a, something like that where I could be like, hey, I'm really liking this show. I'm two or three episodes in. That's all that's out right now. But you know what? I'm liking it so much. Let's start it over. I'll watch them again with you. Yeah. Like, I love so doing that. The only thing that I'll say right now in, in the in the opposite is that we are only halfway through. So if this is this mystery, mystery box story and they build it up and build it up and build it up and then it doesn't have a satisfying payoff. I can understand people being a little lower on the show, but the journey, I'm always about the journey and not the destination. So for me, I'd be okay with it. But if the payoff, like the the last like two episodes are just like a letdown, that could change how we feel about it. But currently, I totally agree with you. Well, and and it's also season one, and I assume they were hoping to get more seasons. There's more seasons of podcast. And so I don't think you necessarily have to put a bow on everything. So I can understand if like, the reveals we do get are not satisfying. Yes. But if the problem is we don't get all the answers, I'm sorry. That's because they wanted a season two and you sh- we should have got one. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I have I have like some data here that we'll talk about and then we can really talk about it more when we have the full context. But uh, the series was released January 14th, 2022. And between January 9th and the 30th, the series was watched for 128.47 million hours globally, according to Netflix top tens. So obviously Netflix is not the most open about how much things are being watched, but now they have the new top 10 thing that they've been doing for a little bit. So you can see like what's top 10. And this show actually shot was number two when it was when it was being released. So like it had and so it's so weird to think about like what aggregate like what like number do that does Netflix need to see in order to continue a show and it's just like I think they're just looking at ba- budget versus viewers like how much did it cost how many people were watching it will and then they look at the there's something about new subscribers right like they also tra- track how many people sign up for Netflix and then watch the show like first I guess yeah it, it's very weird and and obviously they're not very transparent about it so they've gotten they've gotten a, a reputation they're starting to get a reputation and they need to watch out for this of like Everybody gets excited. They decide they're going to make a show and then they cancel it after one season. They've started to do that enough times now where they're getting that rep. I think they should just be careful doing that because they could they could also go into shows saying like, we're going to give you one season. Please close it out and give, you know, leave a couple of lingering strings. And then that way people aren't like devastated when things are because what if this has like full cliffhangers and nothing is is in, and then and the show is never renewed, then it'll be. Well, they just also have to realize that like. Not everybody is, uh, you know, able to watch something as soon as it comes out, you know, like something comes out and like maybe I'm in the middle of season four of this other show that I've been super invested in for a long time. And I only watch a few hours of the TV each week. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds interesting to me. I'll watch it in a few months once I finish this other thing. But then by then it's already been fucking canceled. Yeah. But the pro- so the, the thing that goes on with a lot of like film releases and TV shows and things like that is that it's like exponential decreases right so like the first week is always a good indication of how successful and how big it's going to be and then typically it's about how if it has legs right if it's going to continue to do that it's but it's only downhill from the first week it's always going to be less yeah but they cut the legs off this thing they did yeah no question by by releasing it all at once so anyway uh i know i'm preaching to the choir here a little bit but uh i I don't know how our listeners feel so i'll preach to them a little bit i guess yeah episode three is called terror in the aisles as a baby melody was left in a church by her mother julia bennett She was then raised in an orphanage run by nuns. She would also have blackout spells. Dan taps into the security cameras and begins mapping where they are. Jess is experiencing seizures, so she goes to Dr. Turner. Jess's mother believes that Father Russo will rid Jess of her seizures. Mark visits Melody in present day. She says that the tapes have all been faked and Mark realizes that she is just impersonating Melody. 
the real Melody is dead. In the past, Melody finds Jess tied to a chair in her apartment while Father Russo performs an exorcism. Samuel bursts in and throws Russo out, promising to get Jess proper help. Father Russo warns Melody to leave while she still can. Dan has been dreaming that he can talk to Melody. Yeah. Oh, I love those scenes, right? Whenever he's talking with Melody and he's so he doesn't know if it's a dream or not. In the upside down with, oh. with the, the like flakes falling and stuff. I thought a lot about stranger That's things. Funny. Yeah, you're right. They're, they do something with these like flaky bits to, to signify that particle some, some floating sort of weird overlap going on. But I do love that stuff, man. It's like he th- he's wondering, like, am I hallucinating? Um, and then he's I think later he starts to think like, oh, she's a ghost. But the whole time I'm like, no, we're getting some we're getting some time travel shit going on here because there's little hints that he says something to her. Like he says that um, it's not a feature, it's a bug or it's not a bug, it's a feature. And she says that in one of the tapes he later watches. That confirmed to me the first time that like that was clear that, that they're interacting through time. Yeah, which is so cool, right? Like all of a sudden that blows my mind. Now we got time travel on top of everything else that's going on in this show. Yeah. Well, and then so to come back to something you mentioned earlier, right? So uh, it kind of was seeming like in the first episode, uh, corporate overlord, weird experimentation stuff. Second episode seemed like alien cult behavior following that. And then this episode sort of starts to think about like religion, devil, demon stuff because we get the father who's doing the exorcism and he's like very serious about like you need to get the fuck out of here because like this place is evil and he's like a holy man and he's like so everybody's feeling different spiritual like ways about how this is creepy. Well, and we we hear about her growing up in a convent or a uh church or whatever yeah all this stuff so very you're right no i think they're deliberately doing that right they're laying all these each step is laying different it's like explanations for what could be going on and it's like different things that other people have thought about or or pursued as maybe being it or maybe there is something to each of these um i mean and just to get ahead to the next episode is like sort of seancey type stuff as well so it's like each one has its own sort of horror seance is a really interesting scene um over this scene though there was there was a sequence that I thought was an absolute standout I loved it and that was he all of a sudden is talking to Melody through the TV the the screen where he's watching her and she's looking at him in first person through the screen and talking to him and he's she's in this convenience store and they had kind of joked about maybe meeting up there for a drink in one of the previous hallucinations or whatever they were and she hears a sound and she's like, oh, I got to go. That's my friend. I got to go. And she like runs outside and the camera stays stationary. Um, and it just is looking at this empty convenience store. And then the strange red haired woman comes in and approaches the camera. And we're like, locked. like, I felt like I was locked in. Like, I couldn't move away. I couldn't look away. I couldn't get away. I'm just looking. And, and it's such a weird thing to have a stationary camera in a show like this that you that is locked in like you're just not used to seeing that and then um you know it, it, you, maybe you could say the the sort of scare is a little i don't know like obvious or something she kind of lunges through the screen and grabs him by the throat and then he and, you know we find out he like wakes up later or something so it was maybe a dream i don't know but i just love that the the build-up to it i thought was so creative and it was something I hadn't seen before. The idea and, and the way that I felt trapped in the stationary position of the camera, like I couldn't get away from her. I thought it was yeah. really effective. I love that scene too. Yeah, it was really super creepy. This one started with an ad for like some sort of satanic carnival movie, 
which was new. That was not in the podcast, at least the, the parts we've heard of yet. Um, and, and then there was also like a debate between two characters talking about, or two people talking about like, is it, I don't know if they were pro or against, I couldn't tell or if one was one and one was the other, but they were debating something about the way it depicts Christianity in the, in this movie. Um, and we hear it referenced later when the the uh, priest is giving his sermon. He he mentions this movie, Satanic Carnival. I thought it would have been funny if those two were the podcasters. They, maybe they are. And they might be, yeah. I don't know. We should look that up. <laughs> yeah, I did think that this is one of the parts where I noticed that they were blurring out everything in the in the um, convenience store that she wasn't able to like look looking directly at. Because I'm like, that's one of the hardest things to do. And it's almost impossible these days. But to like get the labels right for all these famous brands because people remember what the labels looked like, but it's really hard to replicate. And then you have to make so many props. If you think about it, like uh, here you go, prop department, fill this entire shelf of a convenience store with period accurate 1994, you know, like recognizable brands. Oh my God. The amount of work that that would be. People do it. There are, there are movies and stuff that do it, but that's a lot to ask for, you know, a scene like this. Well, I think it's tough, and yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like a lot, but I bet you prop people love that shit. Like, Maybe, they're like, oh, yeah. I get to make something like from back then. Like, it's going to be mean, expensive. I can tell you that much. You're going to add a lot of a price tag to that to that uh, be, yeah. to that scene. We haven't talked yet about the groundskeeper situation, uh, which has been has been very creepy throughout. I think there's more of it in the next episode too. But there's this person watching him. He sees her out of the corner of his eye, and then like she <laughs> she just shows up randomly and like. I would be so fucking startled if I didn't talk to another human being for like three days in a row and I'm watching creepy ass footage and then all of a sudden somebody just fucking appears, to, you know, like right. scared the shit out of me. <laughs> well, and she was creeping in some of the and she would just disappear. She like ran away at one point. He like tried to like she seemed to disappear. And so like, yeah, that would be f- pretty freaky. And then um, like it, I, it wouldn't have been beyond the pale for him to have been like, ah, and throw something at her. <laughs> Yeah, she's like going through the footage, and when she was going through the footage and staring at Melody, yeah. is when I started to get this theory that is somebody who knew her or something like that. Well, we we see her again in episode four, right? I this think that I think that's her. Yeah. So in in the next episode, which we're about to get to, I believe maybe I'm wrong about this, but I believe she is the one who's having the séance. She's talking about her father. Oh right, you think that's I think the, that's the groundskeeper. Could be, yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't. I didn't real. I didn't pick up on that. If that is, yeah. Let's talk about that. So episode four is called Spirit Receivers. Dan begins losing time when he sees Melody. Melody interviews Miss Wall and sees the statue the group was worshiping in Miss Wall's apartment. Miss Wall calls them a cult and shows Melody her pendant. Melody sees a disturbing image in it. Wall gives Annabelle a jar of black paint her sister Eleanor used for her work. In the present, Dan tells Melody who his father is. She gets upset. When she vanishes, a journal is left there, written by T. Bellows. The journals reveal the code to get in the locked room off the church. Once in, Dan finds a paper Dr. Turner wrote about cross-dimensional bridges. Mark is asked by Virgil to spy on Dan. At Miss Wall's party, Beatrice performs a seance to contact Melody's mother, but senses another force. Dan's computer freezes then, and Melody appears. He explains that she died 25 years ago. She disappears and Beatrice recites pieces of conversations Melody and Dan have had, including the one that just happened. Overwhelmed, Beatrice begins tearing her own face off. In Melody's apartment, Annabelle claims there is a person in the dozens of paintings she just made with Eleanor's paint. The wall exhibit 
you know, it's it's really weird. There's like a bowl with teeth. This is something that's right out of the podcast, but it's been changed a little bit. Get these old tuning forks. Um, I don't know. There's just these like old artifacts of different creepy things. Of course, they're all in this building. So you're know, like, what what sort of wild power is going to be here? And then yeah, they it was that, it was I will note it was missing a non Euclidean object. Yeah, um, well, how do you show that? Um, I guess I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, they, that summary said that they see the statue, but I don't think we've seen it again. Actually, I think we just see the container that housed the statue. That they in were this episode they open it. Yeah, but there was another. There's another statue in there. That's not the one that they worshipped. The other one was like a head that looked like an alien, whereas this was like a self sculpture or something. Maybe we're not supposed to have picked up on that. As I don't know, it looked pretty different. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely very different. Um, yeah, because I thought she was like, oh, this isn't what I was expecting when she opened it up. Anyway, uh, the show was like the show. I haven't seen a show in a while that had, like literally gives me chills. The show was doing it. The notebooks by this T Bella's character. Uh, who we haven't met yet, but I love that stuff, man. Like that direct, like you're, you're again, now we're, in, we're involving writing in it. You're flipping through it. And it, it's just like a weird, like I actually paused this early on to read the notebook to try and figure out what it was. And I was like, this is just a bunch of characters doing random things. Okay. And then that is what it is. And it's like, apparently it's from soap operas. And then all of a sudden we see the numbers and he starts to think that this is somebody who had a similar job to him in the past and like now now we've introduced this character whose fate is unknown who had a similar job to him um was this person also researching melody i don't know very interesting i did actually pause a significant amount of times throughout these first four episodes like there's the document that like um dan's father was like being suspended from nyu or whatever it was there's the letter i didn't do that one what did you see on that one it wasn't anything. It was all exactly what you would expect it to be. Um, and then same thing with the uh, the document that where he was like researching, like his file that Dan found. And he's got documents about like, you know, like tunnels through dimensions and things like that. Pause and write a little bit of that. A lot of like, you know, like sort of like techno babble stuff where it's like trying to describe what what is theoretically possible and that kind of thing um but yeah a lot of fun like pausable moments where you get text like that i was pausing it whenever we saw like a shelf with that had a bunch of vhs's on it or books on it because i wanted to see titles <laughs> yeah so let's get into this uh seance the seance scene so good I, it just makes me like I, I want to be a part of a seance i do you? I, I do not believe it at all but sign me up, man. I, I I would go in and I would be respectful, and I want to fucking like I want to I want to see what what they can do. I don't want it to be some like hokey like person who does it for a living though. I don't know. Like I I want it to be like someone who knows how to do it, and we just do it. You know, like uh, to you know random at a dinner party. At a dinner like party. Like you're in the middle. I like I, that. This was pretty funny because it was like they're in the middle of eating, and then she's like. Uh, do you want to meet your dad or whoever? Well, maybe we should ask him. And then they were like, let's have a let's seance. Do it. And then <laughs> Melody's like, what the fuck? I was just eating and everybody's getting up and moving. And I kept thinking like, I'm like, oh, she should leave. But then I'm like, oh, you know, she's actually wanting to like research this and she's recording it. So it, it gives her a reason to stay for shit like this. That was my big question too, is like, so if you're there and someone else is doing the seance and then everybody's very insistent that you do it next, do you do, do, you do it? I mean, I probably do. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, let's see how we go. How it goes here. Do it. I'm, I'm curious. What happens? And then if someone starts tearing their face off yeah. after I'm, that's a story man yeah uh that was that was pretty uh that was like the most blood we've seen so far in the show that was a pretty brutal scene yeah easily and hurt like the, oh, there was also just a moment where um it backs out to dan and he, and he pauses 
on a frame of her like like freaking out because she's like getting uh, you know like another voice or something and just the face she's pulling in the background is so unsettling <laughs> well yeah and and i i'm i guarantee that in the first couple times we see that shot it looked super demonic and, and stuff they had definitely overlaid something over her face to make her look like that and then like once once melody is looking at it she looks like she normally would have but there was like a demon face in there for a second for sure <laughs> so so um, clever to do that uh so i want to focus on the first seance uh, so, because there's some interesting stuff here that I think is leading somewhere. So, there is referenced an old film that was lost that that was being that had been found, I think, in the first episode. Yeah, that was the circle thing that he was like fixing. The circle, up. and it was like it was an old film that was supposedly made in reference to a s- actual snuff film that this filmmaker had seen, and it's very dark. Um, and you know, someone gets murdered in it, and then. They like are clearly very interested in finding out what happened to this actual film or maybe the actual snuff film that it was based off yeah. of. Yeah, that's what it was. They were snuff film. Yeah, it, very dark, right? And but like I don't know, so creepy. And 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 I love that it's tied around a tape. All of a sudden, we're talking about a. And I'm sure we're going to see more of this tape at some point. And uh, I don't know. I'm into that. It's it's really interesting. Miss Wall and Stephen are always looking at each other. Yeah, <laughs> sharing knowing looks. Well, she's being very, she's like pushing really hard. And I feel like he was like going like bump the brakes a little bit. Like you're going, you're coming on too strong. But once they learn that like, oh yeah, like, like uh, he saw an actual tape of it. She's like, where do we find it? Where did this and that? And then they're freaking out. And then they're like, let's ask him. And that's when they ask him and get all these other details. And then we get the, we get Melody sitting down. She's supposedly looking for her mom. And they're saying that, She's dead. And she's like, I don't know if she's dead. We'll and then they, so she's sitting down to see. She's like, no, no, I can't find her. And then she's like, oh, oh, someone else is here for you. Someone's taken over my body. And that's when it gets really creepy. Do you remember what she says to Melody? What what the possessed woman says to Melody? Yeah, I mean, she just starts saying the things that her and Dan talk. Like it was, it's like a transcription of this, yeah. the conversation they've, they've had from yeah. both sides. So and and in the first seance, they asked like where she was like, where do I find this tape or anything like that? And who whose was it? And it was like, it turns out it was her uncle's. And then and then she asked, where do I find it? And he starts freaking out in within this. seance. Yeah. Telling her to stay away. And yeah, that probably led to his death because supposedly he like drowned or something. Drowned. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who have mysteriously died connected to this building. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Just so cool <laughs> i just i'm just like i'm i'm laughing like to me this is like these these writers these filmmakers are having so much fun with this and they're 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 just trying stuff like they're they're pushing the envelope and 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 going with that just leaning into that found footage you know medium i don't know it's so cool and then yeah the 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 sort of mind bendy time stuff is really neat too where all of a sudden he is now convinced dan is now convinced he can affect the past by by talking with melody um and he's like i can save her and he calls his friend and his friend has been like fuck you to this to this guy who showed up like get the fuck out of here you know like doesn't take any shit from him but he does take the card which of course you know is like oh don't take the card but he did and then he gets this call from dan where all of a sudden he's talking about time travel and how he's going to save someone who's dead. And this is like the point where this guy who has clearly been along for the ride all along is going to now maybe start to have some doubts about and, and start to worry that maybe he is lo- losing his sanity. Um, and it's a shame because I like Mark so much and I feel like it's not going to 
I don't know. Like it's going to go bad, I think. Um, but man, I, 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 I'm pulling for Mark to like not betray him <laughs> to this. He's not going to, I don't think he's going to intentionally betray him. I think he's going to call. Yeah. He's going to do it out of a, yeah, to help oh, him or whatever. Bad idea though. And then, and then it's going to, you know, obviously open some doors. Uh, but this episode leaves us with, um, Beatrice, like tearing her own face off. And then, uh, Melody's like chasing her down in the ambulance, trying to get the info. Like, what did, what did they say? What did they say? And, uh, and then that's like how they end it. And I wanted to mention particularly like the end of all of these episodes is really solid. And I think that's key for like these mystery box, uh, sort of stories is like, leave them with like the big, what the fuck moment and then carry on. Well, and it's also like you give them, you give them an answer and then you pose a new question and then maybe, maybe you pose two new questions (laughs) if you're, if you're lost or whatever. Right. Um, which is like the one everybody always goes to. And like, I get that that show gets a lot of deserved hate, but like it also, for a long time was very entertaining television and maybe you weren't satisfied with a lot of the answers. Yeah, you no, got, no but. question. It was like the biggest schedule. I think it was probably arguably the biggest like scheduled watching t- show of its, but of its time. I think period. it was sort of revealed that a lot of that stuff was pretty flimsy. They didn't have it perfectly mapped out. And a lot of the answers were not satisfying. I've read into that a lot. They, they had to negotiate their own end date they, because this network wanted them to keep going forever. And they were like, we wanted to be done like three seasons ago. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot that went on to create that problem. So like I, and then also JJ Abrams is sort of become synonymous with mystery box. I don't know how fair that is, but like, I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that he should be necessarily. And like a lot of people have mixed feelings about JJ Abrams, which I get. So I, I, I'm not, I, I really think this kind of storytelling can really work. And I think that it's working here. I, you know, I don't know how it's going to, if it's going to land it or not, um, or feel satisfying. Um, but I like this stuff and the idea of like giving somebody an answer to one mystery, but creating another, that's just good storytelling, right? Like you, you get a, you get a reward, you get a, you get a, you get a satisfying feeling like you have an answer to something, but then now there's another question that's going to drive you forward. That's just good storytelling. And as long as it's compelling, you know, as long as it's not, it doesn't feel like it's spinning its wheels, like some of the later seasons of Lost, like I think that it can make for really fun stories. I, and like, yeah, I love clicking into this kind of stuff. I mean, Leftovers, we've talked about many yeah, times, is definitely that great kind of example. Thing. I really enjoyed this first half of uh, both the podcast and the show that we covered here. Um, yeah. Do you have any theories that you want to throw out right now before we oh. uh, wrap up? <laughs> Speaking of theory crafting. Uh, man, um, I guess the question that the show is raising to me is, is Dan going to be able to save Melody? I think that's kind of like the key, uh, question. And I don't know. Um, I think he's going to make an attempt to do it, but like, this is the thing with time travel is we don't know how the rules work here. There's that. There's also like, he could get fucking drawn into the past. I could see that happening. In fact, I think it will. I think we'll at some point we'll see him drawn into the past. Um, maybe he swaps places with her or something. There's yeah. so many places you could go with this. I guess, yeah, yeah. So that that's the thing, right? They've set up so many possible situations. So it's like they could easily be like, oh, it's demons. Well, no, I see. That's the thing. I don't I don't want a clear answer of what it is. I think there is a, it's the same thing with leftovers. Like there is, there is a, there is a power to not knowing and it's okay to lean into a mystery. We have a bunch of possible answers and we can have a few that seem more likely than others, 
but I'm I'm not going to be mad if I don't get a definitive answer of what's going on because I think that that no matter what it is is going to rob some of the magic of what's happening in the show. Right, and I'm with you. I, I don't think they necessarily have to answer that. I uh, do you think Dan uh, gets one over on this company on this LMG? Oh, company? for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I want to I want to think so. I think he yeah he he they're going to put the pressure on him. He's going to have to fight fight for his ability to actually try and rescue Melody because I think that's kind of be going to be one of his main things going forward. Yeah, these are all just theories, and and I'm kind of basing it off of like storytelling, like what's what's interesting. What kind of threads could you tie together? But, you know, you have a writer's room. You have people who are spending hours and hours and days and days and days trying to come up with the most interesting, compelling and surprising ways to do it. You don't want to go. There's something I read somewhere in a writing book about, like, choosing the fifth option, I think is what it was. And there was a thought exercise of like, okay, so here's here's a situation you come up with. There's a there's a little kid. Who, find, who is going through the garbage and he finds a gun that has been left in the garbage. Why is the gun there? And he, the, the exercise is to write down, write down different reasons why the gun might be in the garbage. It's like outside his house or something. And you write down, in like the idea is, whatever you write down, keep going. And then once you've come down with like five options, usually by the time you get to about your fifth idea, you've found something that is actually surprising because those first few ideas are going to be the most obvious choices and like seeking that, like, like that unusual, that, that you really had to kind of like stretch and stress yourself to find something different. That's where you're going to find something really interesting. So, well, and you don't, and, and you're just having that as an option too. You don't have to go with that, but like you've done the exercise. Like if it is, if it does make more sense for something less surprising to happen, well, then course. maybe it does. But yeah. But so the other thing is like, I'm pretty sure the answer is that Chekhov put the gun in the, in the <laughs> can though, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I think we better wrap this one up. Um, if, if it's not clear, I'm excited for this. I wanted to bring the energy for this one because... This is the kind of shit that I, I, I love. This is the kind of story. Like, if I was going to write horror, we've talked about um, different genres, right? And I'm like, oh, I could totally see myself wanting to write something like this. Like, The Green Knight was totally my vibe when it comes to, like, fantasy. This is my vibe when it comes to horror. I love this stuff. Um, and I would I would love to play with play with this kind of thing. It just seems like a great little, like, uh, sandbox to get in. Right. Uh, yeah. I love it. And then there's the, the, the toolkit available to you is so fun. Um, and then, yeah, it, it, honestly, learning about audio dramas, like going back to the podcast, that has been really cool. It, it, I'm more interested in that than I have been in the past. Like the idea of writing something like that and, you know, they recorded it over a weekend or something like that's crazy. Um, and, you know, they came up with it together and they wrote this cool thing. Like that's so fun. Um, you know, props to them. Uh, so, yeah, this has been a really fun project. I'm so excited to watch the rest of it, to finish out the podcast. Um, if you are a fan of archive 81 you're mad that the show got canceled like us um you know let us know and share with your friends and if you listen to the podcast and you're an archive 81 listener i'd love for you to share our podcast with some of those uh some of your fellow listeners because i hope that they would appreciate it because i feel like podcasting is such a new form it's not getting all the love that a lot of other storytelling mediums get so we're, we're trying to give it some love here. And I, I'm really enjoying the podcast. I'm enjoying the adaptation. So it's a perfect fit for us. Yeah. And make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. 
And yeah, again, make sure that you connect because we got to find our friend Dan. And uh, <laughs> I hear <laughs> he's still missing. <laughs> he's still missing. Yeah. Help us. Yeah, we got to get to the bottom of that. Um, <laughs> leave us a rating and review. You know, it's a good way to get the word out again. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'd love to have five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on there, that would be awesome. Consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ink to film. We have many tiers in there, but for just $2 a month, you can get our bonus content once a month where we do usually adaptation adjacent material. Um, we've done something like 50 at this point or yeah, close to close that. to. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fun. We'd love to have you over there. All right. And until next time, keep adapting.